And you are listening to WMNF, WMNF, Tampa, 88.5 FM, the best little station in the nation. This show is called Art in Your Ear. My name is Joel Chilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest. In a little bit, we're going to be talking to some of the people from the Tampa Repertory Theater. They are opening up the Elephant Man next week. But before we do that, I just wanted to bring a friend in. Uh, Ray Rote has come switch studios from The Skinny, a brand new show on 88.5 here on 88.5. And you're doing it with a bunch of other people. Welcome back to the airwaves, Ray. Uh, thank you so much uh, for having me. It's like I was telling you, it's always great to be in this building. There's an undeniable energy um, in here. <laughs> and we're very uh, grateful to be doing that show with uh, Mitch Perry, Ben Montgomery, and then frequent guests, Celine Sanfelice and Justin Garcia. Yeah, it was fun seeing the whole full house in there. Uh, is it, uh, the, when you were doing a show here earlier, you did a music show, and because your life is news, <laughs> I mean, you have other things in your right. life. Uh, so, but now you're back for a new show. First question, obviously, is can can you not, like, slip some music in there? <laughs> well, Mitch has got really good taste in music. Um, you know, Mitch is known as a political animal, but but Mitch has so many layers, right? So right. so Mitch has handled the, the music, and, and you're right, I I came uh, to MNF with music. I came to Creative Loafing that way too. Um, but in my new job as editor in chief, which I've been at for I don't know three or four years, I, I lose track of time. <laughs> I get a lot of news, and, and Justin Garcia is out there bringing news to us daily in a very heavy way. Justin, so. Justin is amazing, and it's a great staff. And I have to just separately the uh, CL, the Creative Loafing Arts issue, is out right now. And first of all, thank you very much for a very nice write up about art in your ear. I appreciate it. And hello to if there's some new listeners. Hello, welcome. Yeah, for Hi sure, there. we do. Let's bring in an arts uh, guide, and um, it was great to have Kyla talk with you. You know, Art in Your Ear is such a wonderful vehicle, and, and you cover so many of the arts, this wide breadth. And, you know, listening to you talk to the people who are creative here, the empathy and, and the way you listen to them, you can mm -hmm. hear it. And so we were just very grateful to uh, be able to work well, that into our Spring Arts preview. <laughs> That's really sweet. So I was interested because, you know, we have um, many... We've got a fantastic block of news and public affairs shows in the weekday mornings. And you guys, what are you bringing? Like, what's the focus for the skinny that makes you a little bit different from what we already have airing? Yeah, so, you know, you know the elephant in the room is that between Mitch at the Florida Phoenix, Axios with Ben and myself at Creative Loafing, uh, all free newspapers, all running probably minimal staff. We simply don't have a lot of time, right? So I, I think for me saying yes was like this... Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> right. But you really want to be in the room with somebody like Mitch um, and Ben. Um, and, and it's fun when I hang out with them. And you. Right, right. <laughs> so, and I think Randy came to us with a show that said, hey, we just want you guys to talk about the things you would talk about if you're sitting around a bar stool or, or, or mm -hmm. whatever, or Bernini's having a happy hour or whatever, right? <laughs> like, so I think the, the opportunity to do that for however long the show's going to last, you, you can't say no to because when you talk about Mitch, you talk about uh, Ben, you talk about Celine, you talk about Justin and, and all the guests that we're going to bring on. There's so many interesting people and you don't get that long in life. So to be able to mm -hmm. talk about the news with them um, and bring on guests and, and, and explore our love and care for this community, I think it will be great. There's been uh, study after study after study that shows that the dearth of local papers and local coverage, you know, with a lot of uh, television news or broadcast television news, all television news swerving to crime and, you know, different things. So by having this locally focused and, you know, you have Justin who's very interested in systems, including political systems, and everybody in there that looks at what are the politics of it? What is What are the movements of it? Like, we need more news reporting. Do you guys see uh, how you can sort of fill or, or highlight certain parts of the community that, that's not 
like those things aren't known or heard enough? Yeah, something to be said. I mean, we're all free outlets. Um, Creative Loafing itself covers a very specific thing and has a specific view on how we pr- mm-hmm. present the news. So it's going to be nice to bring that reporting um, in there. And you're right, it is different from the TV news or, or other news outlets. Um, you know, I could go on a rant about objectivity <laughs> and, and, and the way that it's hurt other communities that we cover. And, and I think we try to do that every day, fill those holes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many journalism tropes that are they're true, but they're kind of overplayed, you know, amplify the voice of, of the underheard, right. democracy dies in the darkness, or things like that. But I think that's something that all these people, you know, believe in, and, and I think our publications reflect that. I think we have a nice wide breadth of, of you know, the floor of Phoenix and Tallahassee, deeply objective, and Axios the same, mm-hmm. and that, you know, smart uh, brevity style, quote unquote, that they like to call it. And then with um, Justin and our news vertical, bringing in some more feature length stuff and stuff that really is you know, granular. And uh, that a lot of people traditionally weren't paying attention to. You know? I I know as uh, I mean I I finished uh, went back to school and, and went back and to study journalism specifically digital journalism, and uh, had known about but really fell in love with the idea of solutions journalism where it became you know like we can keep on talking about all this stuff but it seems to unless people know that there's something that can be done it just seems to be sort of demoralizing. Well, I mean I, I will give you kudos on that. You did a uh, a mugshots. Oh. Story for us uh, in creative loafing, and I don't know where the timing worked out, but you know, you, you wrote a story about how mugshot galleries on, on newspapers, specifically the largest one here in the area, were, were hurting those people. And I think within a week, that thing was down. I it think was it was like combined days. with a lot of stuff, right? So, <laughs> so thank you. It was great timing, and and you know, it's interesting. You know, we call it news and things like that, but news and everything affects everything that we're talking about here. You're mm-hmm. talking about arts. Arts needs money to fund. Arts need places to exist. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've had the Crest Collective in here, I'm, I'm sure. How do you end up with that space? What does it mean to be right. teamed up with Daryl Shaw? Like, all of these things interplay with each other. So hopefully we can bring a little bit of that uh, to the show as well. Well, that's awesome. Well, The Skinny uh, will air every Friday from 11 after the NPR News, so about 11.06 to 12.01 uh, with Ray Rowe, with uh, Mitch Perry, and and Ben Montgomery, plus Justin Garcia, and I. What's Celine? Celine Sanfelice. Celine yeah, they'll, Sanfelice. they'll be joining us uh, periodically. Hopefully, uh, more than more than not, because right. I love seeing them. And a, a great team. And thank you so much. I'm very excited. And and again, thank you for the lovely plug in Creative Loafing. Thank I really you for having us too. in the building, and, and thanks for um, supporting the art scene. It's great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody, please stay tuned, and uh, so check out. You can always go online and listen back to the show, and please stay tuned. We've got a. I'm so excited to uh, welcome Tampa Rep into the studio in just a few minutes, but we're going to start off with a song. I spend too much time on TikTok. I don't know if you're a TikTok person, but I spend too much time on TikTok. But the good part of it is you get to find some incredible music there. And I had this wonderful reminder about the Orchestra Obsolete playing Blue Monday on 1930s Instruments. So listen to this and we'll be right back here on Art in Your Ear on WMNF 88.5 FM.
You guys see this amazing truck? My car insurance company was totally ripping me off for it. And that was <laughs> something weird happened there. Thank you for listening to Art in Your Ear on WMNF. I am so sorry. I apologize about that. I don't know what what went terribly wrong, but it did. Um, right now on the show, we're kind of getting ready to uh, talk with our guests. Uh, we want to... Uh, there we go. Sorry. Um, the Elephant Man just is opening up at Tampa Rep in a very short time. Next week, does it open? Next week. Next week. See Ebor. And then, uh, and runs through the, I just had the information all up. Oh, right here, through the 19th of the month. Um, I think that this might be our person. So if you would just explain, um, introduce yourselves, Amelia and Georgia, and then talk a little bit about what you're doing in the show. And I am going to get the phone. <laughs> Great. Hi, I'm Amelia Sargent. I'm the producing artistic director of the Tampa Repertory Theater. I'm also the director of The Elephant Man by Bernard Pomerantz, which, as Joellen said, is opening this week, February 3rd and running through the 19th. Um, I have the great pleasure of directing an amazing cast, which includes our friend here, uh, Georgia. Hi, I'm Georgia Mallory Guy, and I play Mrs. Kendall in the show. And then hopefully Christopher's on the line. Hello? I am here. Yay! And Christopher, who are you in the show? I am playing Dr. Frederick Treves. So one of the interesting things, so last night um, I, I reread the script, and I was, you know, I'm going to brag, I'm going to boast, and be one of those people. I was one of those lucky people who got to see David Bowie in it because, you know, it's David oh, Bowie. Oh, yes. Um, and then I saw, I saw it a few other times. It seemed like for a while in the 1980s, The Elephant Man was being done a lot because of the, I think, the Broadway connection. And then there's been a lull, and I don't remember thinking about it or seeing it. And so it was a long time since I'd been to that script, and I forgot how good it is. Mm -hmm. And Georgia, your character, Mrs. Kendall, has some really great lines. Oh, like yeah. Her, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting <laughs> because uh, uh, Paul Potenza, who plays John Merrick, he has, of course, some great lines. And then, Christopher, you have a couple of really, like, powerful th things. Everybody gets, well, not everybody, but the main people all get juicy stuff. And I was kind of wondering, Amelia, or, you know, overall for Tampa Rep, because Tampa Rep, to me, always does shows where it's not single character focused and then everyone is very supportive, but, but sort of spreads the talent mm -hmm. wider. Yes. You know, was that part of choosing this play that there is such a, like, such a richness on so many levels? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, our founding artistic director, David Frankel, actually s selected this play. Um, and this is one of, one of the projects that he had in mind and um, had curated mm. uh, that that I was determined to make sure that we brought to fruition. And one of the reasons um, was because of the beauty of the story and the ensemble nature of it. Uh, there are two things here, and it's the script, the, the beauty of the script, the meanings um, in the script, uh, but also the fact that it is a larger ensemble and um, we can give people who are earlier in their careers a start as well mm -hmm. to work with some seasoned professionals as well. Uh, but... The story behind the choice uh, really came to uh, Paul Potenza is a good friend of David Frankel's, and um, and he said, "Give me three plays that you would like to do." 
and and why, and uh, made him write about it. <laughs> <laughs> gave, gave him homework. He did. Gave him homework, and um, and so it kind of was born of that, and then um, the excitement of having then uh, Christopher Marshall step up as Treves. Um, it's it's been a long time coming that we've wanted to tell this beautiful story of this beautiful soul. Well, we don't have Paul here to talk about John Merrick, so I'm going to ask at some points for you to sort of fill in and, and talk about that. But we do have George as Miss Kennel and Christopher as Treves. One of the um, so one of the things when I was driving over here today, uh, because the situation happened in my personal life, is that there are people who feel like they are doing good. And, and they are doing good, but they're not doing good for the right reasons. And eventually, that not doing good for the right reasons, like the bad reasons, come back and they usually bite them in the butt. Um, and so uh, it seems that that is uh, a theme in this play. Uh, and But everybody sort of, there's no one in the play that really doesn't go through some sort of change in their life. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit, uh, since uh, the two characters... Georgia and Treves, they go through some, they change as, as people, they change. Uh, and so I, I want to focus a little bit on that for a minute. Georgia, there's a, a line that your character has about trust and that she trusts someone. Do you see that Mrs. Kendall, who you play, had been like a trusting person before trusting John Merrick? Um, well, Kendall comes from a theater background mm-hmm. uh, and is based That's on, why I'm a, on a true character. <laughs> right. um, so I think... I don't think that it is um, anything that she's, you know, sort of predispositioned to before she she comes in. I think it's literally in the moment that she decides to do the the thing that you're sort of referencing that we're not going to talk about on the air. No. Because it's going to see the play because right. that's, that, that's the good juicy part. But but the trust was built because like that's not the only way reason she trusts. She builds a relationship. She does. She I you know the concept is that she's brought in after there are many failures of people being able to sit and talk with him and develop him as. Um, you know, a, 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 a normal s- s- person go, can go into society. That's the concept behind it, right? That John Merrick could eventually become someone who could live within society. Um, and so they they brought in a number of women. And that's that Christopher doing. I'm not Christopher, obviously. It's uh, mm-hmm. trees. It's Christopher. It's your role. It's your character that is has decided. Oh, we can make him normal. Yes, that's. Uh, <clears throat> That's the first thing he says when he's asked what his plan is for him. It's normality as far as possible is the line. And then bringing Mrs. Kendall in is is part of normalizing him. Well, yeah. No, go ahead, Chris. No, sorry. I was just going to say, yes, the, 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 um, I mean, I think the relationship that develops between Kendall and Trees is definitely something that Georgia can and should speak to more. But, but, but yes, to your question, Treves, I think Treves thinks in the beginning, I mean, his reason for bringing in Kendall is not only that she's a woman and he's never shook a woman's hand before, um, but also that she's an actress. And he says that unlike other women, you can hide your true feelings. <laughs> and there's a great line after that. The line yeah, exactly. is. <laughs> well, we're going to do that scene. Oh, okay, good. Oh, good. Well, I mean, maybe can we let's go ahead and do that scene because that I love that line. I was like, dang, you know. I mean, this play was written in 1970, was it? 1979. So it was for first yeah. performed in 79. So, yeah. you know, so even then, like to have a guy write that, I was like, all right. So, do you want to go ahead and does this scene need any type of setup? Um, uh, this this is the scene where uh, you meet Mrs. Kendall and. Uh, 
you come to understand that Dr. Treves has brought in an actress that he hopes can go into the room with Merrick and form, uh, essentially um, help to normalize him in the sense that he can have conversations and talk with people. Because sort of John Merrick, or originally Joseph Merrick, John Merrick is is deformed, is mm-hmm. extremely deformed. He has He has one arm... You know, like part of him is normal, but most of his, like three of his limbs and his head and his back and his body have just horrible looking things growing out and of them. And he can't even sleep lying down. Right, his head he is so big and it's just, he is very frightening to look at, definitely for that time. So if you guys want to go ahead. Sure. You have seen photographs of John Merrick, Mrs. Kendall. You are acquainted with his appearance. He reminds me of an audience I played Cleopatra for in Brighton once. All huge head and grimace and utterly unable to clap. Hmm. Well, um, my aim is to lead him to as normal a life as possible. His terror of us all comes from having been held at arm's length from society. I am determined that shall end. For example, he loves to meet people and converse. I am determined he shall. For example, he had never seen the inside of any normal home before. I had him to mine. And... What a reward, Mrs. Kendall. His astonishment, his joy at the most ordinary things. Most critical, I feel, however, are women. Hmm. I will explain. They have always shown the greatest fear and loathing of him, while he adores them, of course. Ah, he is intelligent. I, I am convinced that they are the key to retrieving him from his exclusion. Though, I must warn you, women are not quite real to him, more creatures of his imagination. Then he is already like other men, Mr. Treves. So I thought um, an actress could help. I mean, unlike most women, you won't give in. You are trained to hide your true feelings and assume others. You mean, unlike most women, I am famous for it. That is really all. Well, well, in any case, um, if you could enter the room and smile and wish him good morning, and when you leave, shake his hand, uh, the left one is usable and really quite beautiful, and say, I am very pleased to have made your acquaintance, Mr. Merrick. Hmm, shall we try it? Left hand out, please. I am very pleased to have made your acquaintance, Mr. Merrick. I am very pleased to have made your acquaintance, Mr. Merrick. I am very pleased to have made your acquaintance, Mr. Merrick. I am very pleased to have made your acquaintance, Mr. Merrick. Yes, that one. My God. That's so good. (laughs) That's so good. And that, I think, is uh, an important part because there's, you know... The difference between the two characters, you know, she's she's on it, like she's like, oh, okay, and she's making these comments, and he's on this, he's on his pathway, and nothing is kind of taking him off his pathway. He's like, he's got something to say, and he's going to say it, and like whatever you're saying is, is kind of not <laughs> not fluffing him. Um, so it's quite wonderful to see that, and then the following scene is pretty amazing. Two, um, one of the things that the play points out, and then I kind of want with everybody to sort of get into some of your like philosophy about this, but one of the things that, that the play, in the middle of the play sort of makes really clear, is that he was sort of a, um, he, John Merrick, in all of his, you know, horrible whatever appearance, people would focus on his personality, his actions, who they thought he was. And everyone thought he was just like them. 
uh, and you know that they would find themselves within him, like oh, he's you know he's religious, he's generous, he's this, or that, he's that. Was that as a as a cast and as a play to sort of have everyone look at? You know, I mean, imagine if looking at yourselves or having somebody look at you and people don't see you, they just see what you reflect of them in that. And so I kind of want to talk about how, as a cast and as a director, you addressed that sort of almost inability of people to actually see John Merrick and, and just see themselves as they needed to. Well, I do think that we all do that. Um, and uh, we we tend to look for what another person is saying to us. Um, we we listen and then we we reflect it and relate it to ourselves and sometimes selfishly uh, reflect back. Oh, I know what you, just exactly what you mean. We're just alike, and yeah. it's like, well, did you really hear <laughs> what's happening inside me? Um, I also think that on a deeper level, that everyone who does come in contact with John Merrick is moved by this this beautiful soul who's somehow able to project his kindness and his his uh, humanity through what by all by all effects is a grotesque appearance mm-hmm. um, and so I think people are attracted to him in that way his humanity kind of it takes a long time to be recognized, you know I mean sure he, he's already a grown man and has had a pretty horrible life. Mm-hmm. Until he moves into the London hospital. Uh, but even the people that move him in don't always kind of understand how right. kind and how humane he what is. What you see is not what you get all the, all the time. And I think um, that's very resonant to our society today. Um, and, you know, we all resonate with wanting to fit in mm-hmm. and um, to be accepted for who mm-hmm. we are. And how difficult is it if you have such a, a visual barrier for people mm-hmm. and people immediately want to assume you're an imbecile or or that um, you are somehow um, broken in nature because right. of that. But, or bad or evil. And and this, this desire to all ha- make him a man like any other is, you know, he really is a man. And so, you know, there's something to look at there. But back to your reflecting others. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to real quickly mention, uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Art in Your Ear here on WMNF 88.5. We're speaking with uh, people from Tampa Rep. They're opening up the Elephant Man next week. And we've got Amelia Sargent, who you just heard, Georgia Mallory Guy. And then also on the phone, Christopher Marshall is with us. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things about the show too is that uh, Christopher, your character really um, starts the show as you know he's kind of a rock star in in his field, and he kind of he he starts the show as like he knows best he he knows everything he's got it going on stuff like that. Will you talk just a little bit about your character and how you sort of walked him through all the stuff that he has to go through in this play? Sure. Um, well, I think you're right in terms of how he starts. I think it's all part of also speaking of reflection and reflection in, in the society in which the play takes place and that he's sort of doing all the things right. Um, he mentions in the end uh, about that he's a very good gardener, um, which is an analogy to how he's able to sort of um, you know, control his life, his world, his <laughs> society, his success. 
And, um, you know, this is something that's happening with science at the time, and, and there's a big debate in the play around faith versus science. And, you know, I think, I think Treves feels like he can fix really anything. Um, he's a very successful surgeon, uh, teacher, academic, a writer, um, and I think he's well-meaning. I really think he is, and he just, um, he, it takes him 21 scenes to figure <laughs> out, as you referred to uh, 10 minutes ago or so, that, um, that he really hasn't figured anything out. And that really what, what back to the, the previous discussion, is that uh, he, he says that we, you know, we all look for a reflection of ourselves in him, but actually we're not at all like each other. So why are we looking to fix things when we should possibly be celebrating the fact that humanity exists in so many different forms. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's been a fascinating dive, too, into the history of all of this and Darwinism and, and the idea of what, what science can and can't control. Um, and and, and Treves, is, um, Treves hops right on that train. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he is. He's a rock star. He, he is 31. He's got two books published. He's got the best job in London in terms of surgery and teaching. And um, he's, he's got a wife and a daughter and a garden and a house. And <laughs> everything's perfect. And, and you know, this, this actually, this moment of choosing to take this man back and fix him is what he learns. Um, I, think he, I think he learns a lot about himself. Mm. Um, as well. Right, a little bit also. And, and just I was, I was having a conversation with a friend about her surgeon yesterday and she was like, oh, he thinks he's a god. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is, um, I was wondering too, does it make a difference? I mean, because everybody, you all are experienced. Does it make a difference when you're playing a character who is a real person? Does that affect any part of what you do or is it, nope, it's a character. How does that work? I'm not an actor, so I don't know how that works. Um, I mean, from my perspective, even though she was um, a a real person, her interactions with John Merrick d- never happened. She raised mm-hmm. money for him. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, you can learn, uh, there's a lot written about who she was and she was witty and she was, um, uh, she was quite the presence mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and she was very commandeering of the room and the space and just sort of a master of um, comedy at that time. Um, she sounds great. No, she was uh, apparently was a very lovely woman. Right. Um, and but you, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Yes and no. Right. What about you, Christopher? Does knowing that he walked this earth does that uh, affect how you perform or research or anything like that? It definitely does, and and I've played historical figures before, and it's it's a different process. I mean, to a certain extent, um, because you have something to research. But I think at a certain point, you also have to sort of leave that and understand that, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm the body and the bundle of emotions that was cast in this role. And <laughs> I can never become that. Um, but the interesting thing with the Elephant Man is that, and and, and Paul Potenza, God bless him, who plays John Merrick, uh, gifted me uh, this book. I had read a bit of it, but, you know, it's based on Trees' writings, and so different perhaps than photographs, you know, uh, or anything like that, I have been really interested in his voice mm. um, and how he wrote. Uh, so that's been really interesting to read. Mm. And then, Amelia, of course, you're the person overall, like, responsible overall for what is a show that is about a somewhat real situation, I mean, with its own mm-hmm. quirks and stuff. So in reading the script, because you guys, you know, I couldn't attend your, your thing last night, um, reading the script, the whole time, I could just see all these different ways that things could go. And that's what always interests me about direction, directing, is that there's all these different decisions. And I guess one decision 
sort of takes care of other decisions, but it seems like there was a decision after decision after decision as a director, what you wanted to go. So what were you, as your sort of overall, like your overarching thesis, you know, to put, what did you sure. want this show to be? Well, I think it's really um, imperative that the the parallels um, in with that the characters experience are lifted. There are a number of times where one character says the exact same line as another character, but with a completely different intent. Um, and it really tells the story of the, of each character's journey. So it was very important to me to make sure that the journeys that you mentioned earlier of each character were clear. And, and of course, we're, we're nearing the end of rehearsals now, and we're getting, it's getting very exciting to see those things start to really lift and play. Um, and, and to, to, to your, your point, these are real stories. And I, you know, a cast full of people who have done a lot of research, and we have a dramaturg, uh, Connie Lamarca Frankel, who has been, um, supplying a lot of, um, really from, from larger amounts of, of information to granular questions, mm-hmm. like what would a truncheon look like, you know? Right. Um, and so making sure that the reality, uh, of the story is there. But from a visionary standpoint, Pomerantz wrote this very much with a, a bit of a Brechtian, um, Epic theater uh, bent, and so you so it, it, the alienation effect. Not to go too deep on that, but it just helps us look at the familiar in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so when we're examining all these philosophical questions, and they're all kind of coming at us at once, how do we clarify that? Right? How do we um, have the audience takeaway be clear and have them, you know, maybe taking a little look at uh, or a new look at what acceptance means mm-hmm. and. Uh, what it means to uh, norm? What, what does normal mean? And also, when you say Brechtian, mm-hmm. or you know, the Brechtian mm-hmm. influence in this play, it's a very, very self-aware that is theater. You know that that this is a theatrical thing, and it's a theatrical exploration of not just the people and characters, but of these thoughts and feelings and, and philosophies, mm-hmm. and that it it is a play that wants the audience to participate in the theater not just as a recipient but you have to be a believer you know the way and I'm not sure how Paul is illustrating um John Merrick and how everybody's illustrating their person Mm but but it tells like there's a a belief that the the presenter Tampa Rep believes that our audience will participate in what we ask them to participate in as an audience. Like, this is your right. job, guys. <laughs> and an example of, of how Paul is portraying it is an example of this um, in that we see the actor walk out and as Treves is describing his ailments and particular disfigurements, the actor is taking them on before our very eyes. Mm-hmm. And he maintains that masterfully. <laughs> Throughout, uh, it was interesting. In the script it was like a, a, a actor with a bad back should not play this yes. role. <laughs> I was just like, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I asked Paul, "How are you doing?" He said, "I'm taking ibuprofen." Right, yeah, <laughs> and that was, and that's what's so interesting because it's um, you have to both see things and and let your imagination see, and that's one of the, and and I know that there are other plays that did that before the Elephant Man, but I know as a young theater goer. When I first saw it on the stage, that concept had, had was new to me. It was very fresh to me that I had to actively join the people on the stage in what I believed to be their truth, you know. And and you do that in the theater, but the mm-hmm. Elephant Man pushed that 
a little further. Like, you're sure you what you can believe this? And and it worked like it works so well. So um, I'm very interested in seeing like when you guys do it, how it's done because it's such a magical thing for an audience member to be able to participate in that way. So and and what I'm talking about, if you're just tuning in, Tampa Rep has the Elephant Man opening up next week, February third. February third is opening through yes. the nineteenth, and uh, and so we're we're talking about it here on uh, WMNF Art in Your Ear. One of the um, there are all these different characters, and there's this uh, thing throughout the play where uh, John Merrick is building a, um, uh, what did he call it? An imitation of an imitation. Mm-hmm. He's building a, a sort of a St. Paul's. St. Paul's, yeah. A model of St. Paul's. Uh, St. Phillips. Saint, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you like, can see St. Paul's from I'll there. I'll go with you. So yeah, so whichever one. He's building a model of something. Um, and that, you know, that repetitive, like that sort of... Uh, Almost every, not every scene, but almost mm-hmm. every scene, it's sort of like a, a either a, a period or an exclamation point or a I told you so or aha. Will you talk a little bit about how you wanted that to be presented to the audience? Because it's very clear that that's an important thing to the uh, to the playwright. Mm-hmm. It's almost a new a character. It's almost an extra character in the play. Um, it is very featured in the um, in in the scenic. Elements. It's it's one of the only things that stays consistent. Um, but I think it's really it's there. Putting the piece on the model uh, is is the moment that one more thing is revealed in some way or discovered by Merrick in his journey. Mm. Um, and he describes this as as an imitation of grace flying up and up out of the mud. Uh, and when he is finally finished with it. We're near the end of the play, mm. and and I think that that's the central metaphor in the play. Mm. Um, and then the building of grace, and then Christopher's character Treves, uh, at one point before the end of the play, but at a very important part, he has a dream where it's where the everything's flipped, you know. <laughs> and then Christopher, will you talk a little bit about that scene, about playing that scene, and everybody can talk about it, but of course, but you know where you're the subject of the dream. I'm just so curious about how that felt as both an actor and then felt for your character. It's it's been a really interesting journey on that scene in particular, and uh, Amelia can jump in too. It, it's um, we're, we we sort of hovered around how that is to be presented, um, and because it's Treves' dream, and it's Merrick describing Treves, but it's Merrick describing Treves in a way that I think Treves is afraid of being perceived as. In other words, not exactly how he is. Um, and and so there's kind of a meta 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 awareness of of what is happening on a stage as you were referring to before like what are we capable of presenting in a live theater space and there's other fun things that will be happening design wise that we won't give away um to sort of create that world but it was really interesting as an actor because he's supposed to be asleep um and of course I can't do that. Right. <laughs> Unless you're really good at waking up at the right time. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, there's a shock collar involved. Uh, no, but the you know the the idea that that this dream, um, I mean, it's it's pretty figurative in the story in terms of how it turns Trees' own um, ideas of what he's doing and that he might be doing something wrong. Um, so it's very interesting to play. It's very in the way it's written is very interesting. That Merrick, you know, it's the teacher becomes the student or. Vice versa, Merrick. or he gets a taste of his own medicine. Right, right. He's mm-hmm. on display, certainly, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually something that's interesting as well. That you know, all of these three characters, um, um, Treves, Kendall, Merrick, have all at one point or another been on display, and 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 Treves, Treves is on display in this scene, um, and so that's yeah, it's interesting. Um, Amelia, do you want to jump in there? 
Well, I think it's it's a really important scene, and it's interesting to me that productions and history have chosen to just skip it Why? and cut it. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And I just don't see how you know how how that is possible because uh, it, it's you, a linchpin, and certainly in the telling of the story and really lifting the idea of what is normal. And um, and what are our motives, and uh, and how we question ourselves um, through hearing Treves questioning right. everything. Right. Um, so hmm. that, I can't. Yeah, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to see the show without it, because it yeah. sort of opens up as an audience member. You know, again, just reading it, and I was trying to remember. You know, when I'd seen the show, like my. It's it's hard for me to remember like an emotion I felt when watching a play, but when I was reading it, I sort of remembered kind of that ah like that aha type like oh oh my god you know like kind of it's like growing dawning awareness within me in watching it and so I'm I'm glad that you're including it because it seems like of such course, an important thing course. and what audience member doesn't want to have a dawning awareness happening <laughs> I mean that sounds really great <laughs> absolutely so uh, you all are now kind of in the last stages of getting ready for a show so usually I don't get people uh, ahead like this so I've got I have just basic theater questions to ask you if you don't mind because uh, <laughs> it's a luxury for me and I hope my listeners like it so um, so in this point like are you wearing costumes are people in costumes yet we put costumes on last night for oh. the um, I and mean, we've had pieces that we could have used corsets have been pretty um, used throughout the process just because you know we have to breathe we right. have to learn to breathe while wearing those right yeah. um, <laughs> and stand the way you stand I mean at, absolutely. you stand very very differently in a course than Absolutely. you do as a regular person. So there have been pieces that have come in rehearsal-wise, but last night was the first time we sort of put everything together, um, mainly just to see what it all looked like within the space. It's um, technically called a costume parade, <laughs> um, where the costume designer comes in, and then we sort of show to the director what she needs to see, and if mm-hmm. there is anything that is lacking or needs to change or doesn't look right within the context of that scene, um, then those changes can be done before the actual first dress, which for us is this Sunday. So, Georgia and Christopher, putting your costumes on, what did that do for your character, like for for being in character? Is that a necessary thing or is that just a, a bonus? I'm going to be, I, I'm going to say it first because I'm probably going to be the person that's going to be the disappointment. It actually doesn't change a lot for right. me. Right, no. I know. I have heard that. I, yeah, right. I, like for me personally, I mean, it's it's a little bit of icing on the cake, but um, it, no, it doesn't necessarily solidify or button or mm-hmm. suddenly now I feel like my person. Right, you yeah. know, it's not it's right. not that for me. And I think especially if you've already had the corset on, because the corset would be the one that actually interfered or affected the actual performance. Sure. You know, though I know if I had to walk around with a long dress, I would fall on my face all the time. <laughs> so Christopher, where are you on getting Tree's costume on? Yeah, so um, I think I mean every every actor trains somewhat differently, um, and 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 I think so. A lot of the preparation of character can differ from actor to actor. I, I think for me, um, it's it's pieces, as as Georgia was saying. For her, it might be the corset or a, a rehearsal skirt or a, a heel. And I think for me, it, it, it a lot of it had to do with with the with the like a vest or. A, um, you know the way the pockets are on men's pants make you stand differently, and the shoes. Um, so little pieces. It just for us, I think it's it's about influencing physicality in those early days. And if you're getting that right, then by the time you actually put the actual costume on, then it should you know it should match up to what you've created with the body. Mm-hmm. So it's fun, of course, to put on all the especially in a player like this 
fancy clothes. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not ripped jeans and a t-shirt. Um, right. But but I think most of us will try to be working in the pieces um, that are provided to us to kind of influence physicality, if that makes sense. Was It does. Was there something that you all did about, because you're portraying people that were living in, you know, 140 years ago, 130, 50 years ago, uh, was in the, was that part of it too, the way people stand, the way people interacted, how close a man and woman could stand together, what was proper, what was improper. Was that part of the staging as well? Absolutely. And, um, you know, the actors we're working with have this kind of training as well. So the, you know, and understanding of, of deportment and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's fairly easy to um, work with a cast like that. Right, and, yeah. you know. I'm so excited about this show. I tell you, <laughs> I kind of get goofy about all these things. But I'm really excited <laughs> about this show, and I just—I mean, there were so many reading it last night. I was just like, "Oh, there's so much to this," and um, and I'm so glad that you brought it back, and I'm so glad that you're on, honoring David Frankel's idea to do this, and re- may he rest in peace, and may his everyone who loved him be excited about this happening for him. Um, I just want one more question, and Christopher, I'm going to start with you because you don't know I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, <laughs> but then, uh, do, do you have anything coming up next after The Elephant Man that you want to give a little bump up to? Sure. Well, it involves Tampa Rep. I'm going to be directing um, All My Sons for oh, Tampa Rep in Arthur uh, Miller. June. Yeah. Excellent. And so that's that's awesome. That's a pretty good thing to want to brag on. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, Amelia, uh, Georgia, do you have anything coming up you want to talk about? Um, well, uh, after I finish Elephant Man, I'm going to New Jersey to direct a show with Centenary Stage Company there. It's a, it's a world premiere. Of? Um, a show called Off the Map. Uh, it's a comedy. So oh. I'll be directing that with their Playwrights Festival and then and uh, my theater company, Think Tank, will be doing um, a show that goes into rehearsals in April. And uh, we'll, um, I think, be between two spaces. So mm-hmm. um, over in St. Pete with our friends at Freefall, and then we'll come back over and produce with Stageworks. Oh, fun. Please keep being us. And mm-hmm. Amelia. And uh, for me, I'm in the process of devising and curating a season for next year for Tampa mm-hmm. Rep. And I have an exciting project coming up that is yet unreleased. Okay, so. but you let us know so we <laughs> well, can talk about it. Well, I'm so grateful that you have come on to talk about this. Thank you for letting me pick your brains. My um, guests have been Amelia Sargent, who is directing The Elephant Man at Tampa Rep. Christopher Marshall as Dr. Treves and Georgia Mallory Guy as Mrs. Kendall. Paul Potenza plays John Merrick in the play. And of course, the play is not exactly like the life of Joseph Merrick, but it is, um, I think, hopefully capturing the ideas um, in there. It's just wonderful. Uh, It is at Tampa Repertory Theater. It opens up on February 3rd and February 2nd and plays through the 19th. So you can go online uh, to either Art in Your Ear on WMNF, uh, the Art in Your Facebook page, or just go directly to tamparep.org, and then you'll see The Elephant Man can click onto it. Um, and we should mention it was written by Bernard Pomerantz. I love saying his name, Pomerantz. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Thank you, Christopher, for calling in. Thank you all so much for coming in. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you for having Thank us. You. Good to Thank see you. you. Awesome. So coming up, well, here, I'm going to play this song because it seemed like a good song for, um, for the show. And then we'll be back letting you know stuff going on and about the area and here on WMNF here on Art in Your Ear.
right? There is so much going on in the Tampa Bay area. And my, we play, uh, well, I play, I don't know what other people do. I play a lot on Spotify and my Spotify keeps on jumping around. So let's just chat at you. I do want to let you know, of course, we have, we were just talking about the elephant man. We had a guest two weeks ago, uh, Peter Kageyama, who wrote a book, Hunter's Point, which was a fun thriller. And I want to mention that Tuesday night, See, January 31st. So, two, here, let's put some music on the background. Tuesday night on January 31st at Tom Below Books, he is going to be doing a reading uh, from the book and talking a little bit about it. So, that's his launch event. And that's at 7 p.m. Uh, this coming Tuesday night, if you recall that. And you can go online and see what we talked about. Something else I want to mention, there's so many good things going, that on Saturday night, the Studio Honors, uh, Studio 620, every single year, will honor um, people in the arts community or in the community who make the community better. And this week, uh, this year, they are going to be honoring Nick Davis, Andrita and Boizel Hosey, Mark Alling and Carrie Jadis, Chad Mize, Christine Page, Jabari Reed, and Kaylin Ray. And I just want to offer my congratulations because all of those people have made a positive impact on um, on St. Pete and on the area. And we're really super lucky to have them. I also want to let you know that support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Mahaffey Theater. Pink Martini performs with singer China Forbes February 10th at the Duke Energy Center for the Arts Mahaffey Theater. It's a mix of classical, Latin, jazz, and pop tickets at themahaffey.com. There's an artist opportunity out there. Uh, if you go to creativepinellas.org, uh, if you're a Pinellas artist, they have a really fun one. I love this one. I love it. Uh, and there's an artist information session about it at 6 p.m. on Tuesday also. It's called Artworks Signal Box Project, and they are painting signal boxes, which are those, you know, on streets, they have those big metal boxes. So they want artists to paint them. And, and fix them up. So I think that's really great. Uh, so again, that's Creative Pinellas' Signal Box Project. You can go on to uh, the Art in Your Facebook page and there's stuff about that. And then uh, when looking at that, I saw also on January 28th, tomorrow from 2 to 4 p.m. at Creative Pinellas. And their location is over in um, sort of uh, mid Pinellas County, they have a show opening called Imagine Blackness. The opening reception is tomorrow with an artist talk. Uh, and then you can, well, the full name is Imagine Blackness, Alternate Realities and Collective Dreaming. So, and that will be, the artist talk is at 2 p.m. there. And it's very interesting. We've been talking a lot about AI and this is, has a lot of AI generated images. MacArthur Freeman is the artist and uh, he will be doing an artist talk with uh, Dr. Elizabeth Hodge, Harge Freeman. Do I have anything else? I think that's kind of it. That's good, right? Um, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, tuning in. I do want to actually, I do have other stuff. I want to let you know that coming up after this show is the wonderful E-Love. She's in the studio with her fantastic Global Electronica show to give you life and pleasure <laughs> and start off your weekend. It's a wonderful way to start the weekend. After that is the live music showcase. We always have live music. Uh, or almost always have a live band on. They might be a local band or they might be someone coming through town to, uh, to do that, to play. Uh, and that is just after the news at 
2 p.m. At 3 p.m. from 3 to 6 is the Rhythm Revival. That's with uh, Marvelous Marv and Reverend Billy and who knows who else. Uh, maybe Patty, maybe Paul in there. And it is a reach back into the roots of rock and roll. Playing early uh, early rock but also jazz. Um, they play uh, kind of body music. They play... Uh, I don't even know what to say. Just uh, early country music, early jive, jump. I mean, it's just everywhere. Plus, they play, I mean, from all over the years and have so much knowledge about it. So that is really fun. Um, Also happening would be the, uh, let's see, uh, after that is the Soul Party, and the Soul Party is uh, with Steve the Hitman. He has music that will be um, classic soul and r and I'm, I'm taking too long. I'm sorry. And then it's the Soul Kitchen at 8 p.m., and that is a smorgasbord of all type of uh, of rhythm-based music. And we end our night with Flashback Friday, Florida-based R&B and soul with Chuck Core Jr. So stick with us. If you want to get in touch with me ever, send me an email, Joe Ellen, J-O-E-L-L-E-N, Joe Ellen at WMNF.org. Uh, next week on the show, who's next week? I'm sorry, I'm so bad. I should know who's next week and I can't remember right now. It's on the website. You're there. Um, we'll be back. So let's let's end the day. We are going to go back and hearing this because I messed it up. This is a, I stole this from another WMNF DJ. I heard them play uh, this band, The Chilies, and the song Pink Frost, and it just was great. So we are going to go out with Pink Frost here on Art in Your Ear, WMNF 88.5 FM, Art in Your Ear, WMNF Tampa, the best little station in the nation. Thanks for being out there. See you next week on the radio.